you are listening to the Grace of Bel Air Sermon Podcast. Grace exists to help people discover a life of purpose in Jesus Christ through discipleship and serving one another. For additional information, you can visit us online at www.graceofbelair.com. And now, we invite you to enjoy this week's sermon. going to be continuing our series called Discover Jesus. This is a, uh, just something that we've been walking through in uh, the Gospel of John, and we're going to be looking at John chapter 14 today, verses 1 through 14, about Jesus keeping his word, and he's going to tell us this, that he is in the Father, and the Father is in him, and today is Father's Day, so I can find it no more appropriate than to talk about this passage today uh, as we uh, are excited to be able to celebrate dads here t- this morning. And, uh, you know, there's one thing about dads that we love to do. And uh, these dads are going to be excited that I'm going to share this, I'm sure, is that we love, we love, we love, we love to tell our dad jokes. Amen? Amen. That's right. We love our dad jokes. I mean, this is the day where you have to listen and you have to laugh, right? This is like, this is, this is important, okay, because this is, this is where our identity, right? We have our identity in these dad jokes. We love it. Um, and so today, in honor of Father's Day, I've came up with some dad jokes that got me chuckling. So if they got me chuckling, hopefully they'll get you chuckling a little bit. Even if it is a cringy laugh, at least you're laughing, amen? And so that's what dads look for, right? You may be laughing, but hey, you know, this is going to be good. I, I feel this is appropriate today. We don't do this often because, um, but well, maybe your dad does it often. I don't know. I can't speak for them, but today is a day where you have to listen to every single one, every single one, all right? And you have to laugh, all right? So here we go. You ready for this? Dads, are you ready for this? Yes. I'm giving you material, okay? I'm giving you some material for the rest of the day. All right, so here we go. Number one, why is Peter Pan always flying? Because he never lands. Ask your neighbor, all right, if you don't, like, try to figure it out. All right. I used to hate facial hair, but then it grew on me. There you go. So, trivia question, which state has the most states? Rhode Island. Rhode Island? Most, or, which state has the most streets? I'm sorry. <laughs> See, even dad jokes get butchered every once in a while. All right, which state has most streets? Rhode Island. All right, make sure you tell it better, dads, to your family this afternoon, all right? Sundays, Sundays can be sad, but the day before is even a sadder day. There it is. Dogs can't operate MRI machines, but cats can. There it is. You're welcome. No, see, with dads, you you always think the dads are done. No, we're not. There's more. Amen. All right. Singing in the shower can be fun until you get soap in your mouth. Then it becomes a soap opera. Yes. Oh, gosh. This is great. (laughs) What what kind of music do chiropractors like? Hip-hop. There it is. 
Why is cold water so insecure? Because it's never called hot. You're welcome. <laughs> Don't worry, two more, two more. Prepare yourself for this glorious moment. Did you, did you hear about the kidnapping at school? It's fine, though. He woke up. All right, last but, not, but certainly not the least. When does a joke officially become a dad joke? When it becomes apparent. You're welcome. Thank you, all the dads, for your dad jokes. We love you. You have been given the liberty to share as many of them as you want. All right? That is the, that is the goal of Father's Day is to share our dad jokes. Uh, what does this have to do with the teaching of God's Word? Absolutely nothing. All right? So... <laughs> I was like, how can I spin this? I can't. All right, there's no way to spin it. So we're just going to say, we're just going to move on. Amen? All right. John chapter 14, discover Jesus. He's our promise keeper. And so we're going to be looking at this today. We're going to be looking at the, the Gospel of John. Uh, this is a rather uh, interesting story we're going to be reading. Uh, as we look at the Gospel of John, John is a very unique Gospel in itself. There's four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Uh, John is the one that kind of gives us some more uh, specific details, specifically coming on the night of Jesus' betrayal and when he, leading up to the cross. The other three Gospels typically take about a chapter or two to describe those events. John will take five uh, chapters to describe. A lot of what Jesus says, especially at the Last Supper with his disciples. Uh, at this point, it is, uh, it is a very troubling moment because his disciples are hearing Jesus talk about him leaving this world. And so at this point, though, um, you know, they have been, been seeing and experiencing some exciting things. I mean, they've been seeing crowds. You know, they've been seeing healings and miracles, dead people being raised to life. I mean, it's been quite a miraculous time. It has been quite a miraculous time for them. They're at the, they're at the peak. Everything just seems to be going well. And Jesus says, oh, by the way, I'm leaving. And then it's like, what? Like, Why? Like, where are you going? Where, can we follow you, right? So they're, they're all over the place trying to figure out what is, this, what is Jesus trying to tell them. And so we're going to see some confusion, some misunderstandings in this passage from his disciples as he continues to talk. But there's been a lot of a heaviness even within just these few moments that he has with them up to this point. Um, John 13 talks about, you know, Judas, the Iscariot, the betrayer. He would be told, you know, by Jesus that, you know, to go and, and begin, you know, what Judas had already begun. And so Judas has left the scene. He's going to betray Jesus. His, the, the other disciples don't really understand what's happening. They're kind of in shock in this moment anyway. And so Judas has left the scene, going to betray Jesus, going to get the, the mob to come and arrest Jesus. Um, then we see Peter telling Jesus, hey, Jesus, I don't know what everybody else is going to do, but before... You know, but I, I'm willing to die for you. And then Jesus then turns back and says to him, before this night even ends, you're going to disown me that you even know me three times. How many know you just like, wow, a lot of heaviness is settling in? It's like, man, this is this, Jesus. Like, why are you talking like this? Like, what, what's going on here? And so, um, so Jesus is going to then start to comfort his disciples by giving them three promises. There's a lot of promises in the Bible, but these are three that he's going to bring up uh, to his disciples. And so we're going to jump right into this. The first one is that he has a place for us. You can put that in the comments. He has a place for us if you're watching online. Um, he has a place for us. Verses 1 through 4, 
says this, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. So, obviously, Jesus has recognized the heaviness in the room, right? Jesus has recognized this heaviness. And so, as he's talking with them about this heaviness, he's going to be sharing with them a couple of things. The first one is that he has a place for them, and he tells them to not let their hearts be troubled. To trust in God, but to trust also in him. So, how do you trust in God? You trust in Jesus. That there's the truth right there, is that in order for you to actually trust God, you must trust in Jesus. That's, that's what Jesus is trying to bring up. I mean, he's going to talk a little bit more about this in a moment. But as we read this, we see that when it, it's easy to trust God when things are going good. Yes? Trusting God when things are going good, when business is good, when, when employees are doing well, when things are going right, when mom and dad are okay, when families aren't fighting, when, when friends are good, you know, everything's fine. It's easy to trust God. But then crisis, right? Business doesn't go well. Employees are quitting. Um, you know, mom and dad are fighting. Families are fighting. Friends are fighting. How many know? Then it's like, okay, how am I supposed to trust God in the middle of all this? And so Jesus is telling them that he's teaching them how he is able to make it through crisis after crisis after crisis. Because Jesus has gone through some crisis. John the Baptist, his cousin, was beheaded, right? That was a crisis. But, the, but Jesus teaches us how to get through it, how to walk through that. But now we're seeing Jesus teaching them how to walk through this moment that they're about to see and, and, and experience the, him being put on a cross and dying on the cross, right? It's going to be it's going to be horrific. It's going to be troubling to them. He's leaving them, in, in other words, he's saying, I'm, I'm going to, back to my father. And so Jesus is trying to teach them how to trust in the middle of crisis. Because you grow more in the middle when you come through a crisis. You grow the most through that. Illustration, one of my favorite illustrations to explain it is when you look at Mount Everest, you'll see the top of the mountain, right? And there's nothing that grows up there, though right? Big mountain, nothing grows though. But you go into the valley, what happens? There's growth. There's plants, there's trees, there's flowers. There's all sorts of things that are in the valley. So the illustration is this, is that yes, you can have successful moments, great moments, but you grow the most when you're in the valley. You see, Jesus desires for you to progress in your faith. He desires for you to grow in your faith. But there's going to be troubling times in this life, and in order for you to grow, you've got to trust him through it. They had to trust Jesus through a storm because at one point in that story about the storm, they thought they were going to die. And Jesus was trying to teach them, you trust me through everything. Because Romans 8.28 is a promise. He says he's working all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. All things. What does all mean? Everything, right? I mean, it's it's pretty self-explanatory, right? So when you face certain things in your life, Understand he's working all things for the good. You may be asking, well, what about this situation? What about that situation? How is he working for the good? I don't know, but guess what? He'll, if you spend time with him, if you talk with him, he will start to reveal things to you. He will start to develop things in you. He will start to help you understand it a little bit better. But sometimes you have to understand this. Understanding is not going to be the thing that's going to satisfy you. 
what satisfies is his peace. This is what the Bible teaches us. It teaches us to not be anxious about anything. What does anything stand for? Everything, right? That's what Philippians 4, 6 through 7 says. So when we're facing conflict, when we're facing a crisis, he says to trust him in the middle of the anxiety, in the middle of the stress. Do you think our world's stressed out right now? You better believe it. I believe we all have moments where we're stressed out, where we have anxiety, where we have fear. The Bible teaches us to do this. What do we do when we experience the stress and anxiety? You don't dwell in it. You don't dwell in it. I've heard it said this way. If it's big enough to worry about, it's big enough to pray about. So you have to learn to take the anxiety and the stress and, and begin to pray about it. Because that's what the Bible teaches in Philippians 4, 6-7. through 7. He says, do not be anxious about anything. Anything means everything. Then it says, but in every situation... What is everything? What is every situation? All situations. All situations. I mean, it's very clear. Then it says, with thanksgiving. We just did that a moment ago, where I said, begin to, let's begin to thank God for all that He's done, what He wants to do. Let's begin to declare who He is. With thanksgiving. So when I approach God with the situation that's got me stressed, that's got, is building up fear, building up anxiety, I approach him with thanksgiving. And be like, wait, that, that doesn't make any sense. I want to tell God everything that's happening because he needs to know because apparently he doesn't know, right? And so you're going to start unloading on him. The Bible says, start off with thanksgiving because you know why? You know what you're doing there? You're taking a biblical truth. You're taking a biblical truth and you're starting to believe the biblical truth when you approach him with thanksgiving because when you do that, you're declaring to God and to your problem that, that your God is bigger than the problem. See, what happens is we come to God and we start explaining things to God like somehow the problem is bigger than him. And God's saying, no, 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 no. No, 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 no. I am God. All things are possible. You may not agree with the way I'm doing it, but I'm telling you, I've got a plan and a purpose for this. No season of your life is going to be wasted. No season of your life will be wasted. I will work all things for your good. But you've got to trust me. It's all about your perception. Because your perception will determine your attitude. Your perception determines your attitude. Right? I've explained, I've explained this to the first service. If you go to Home Depot and you ask the employee there, as long as his boss doesn't know this, you go to an employee and say, tell me what's wrong with Home Depot. They're going to tell you everything that's wrong with Home Depot as long as the boss doesn't find out, right? They're going to give you... Why? Because of the perception you just gave. But what if you come to that employee and say, hey, can you tell me what's great about this place? They're going to find things. Yeah, they don't like everything, maybe, but they're going to find some things that are pretty great about the place. They maybe talk about this person, that person, that product, this product. Why? Because the perception. That's important. Your perception determines the attitude. So when you believe and you perceive that God's going to work all things for your benefit, for your good, you're going to have the faith to believe. It's going to build an exciting attitude in your life. It's going to build an, a, a, an attitude of thanksgiving in your life. Why? Because you know nothing's impossible with him. That he can work all things for, his, for the good. Because you trust him with the fear, with the anxiety. Because you come to him with thanksgiving. I'll read the second part of that verse. So when you do that, this is what's going to happen. The Bible is full of promises. Here's the promise. So when you do it that way, the way I just taught, it says, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding, which surpasses all understanding. Understanding is not what you need. What you need is God's peace. 
Understanding will not bring you God's peace. Sometimes understanding can bring more anxiety. <laughs> True? Sometimes it just brings more stress, right, to your life. So the Bible is teaching me, present my request with thanksgiving, then the peace of God will surpass all my understanding, and it will guard my heart, and it guards my mind in Christ Jesus. So, you stressed out about something? You afraid of something? You have anxiety about something? Present your request with, to God with thanksgiving. Start off with thanksgiving. And then the peace of God is then going to guard your heart and it's going to guard your mind. Because you know why? Because the enemy wants to take your situation in a totally different direction. He wants you to doubt God. He wants you to dislike God. He wants you to hate the person. He wants you to get mad at them and hate their guts, right? All these different things. He wants to take it in a different direction. But the Bible says, present your request to God with thanksgiving. And the peace of God will then guard your heart. It will then guard your mind. So that you will have a heart of thanksgiving. You'll have a heart of faith to believe. And that's what this whole thing was about. You see, he tells them to not let their hearts be troubled. Because they couldn't control the storms that were coming. The storms that they have already experienced. They couldn't control the storm. They couldn't do anything about the storm. You know, they're, they're gonna be, if, if you had a storm, maybe you've had a storm in your life. Things happened. You didn't see it coming, right? You didn't see that conflict happening or that, that financial crisis moment that you had. You didn't, ex, you didn't expect the health crisis. You didn't expect all those different things. Maybe it was you. Maybe it was somebody else. And you didn't expect any of that. But the Bible promises you this. Even in the middle of a crisis, he's willing to walk with you and, and through it with you. He says, I will walk with you. And, I will and you know what? You're actually going to come out better than you were when you entered it. You're actually going to come through the storm. And you're not just going to come through the storm. You're actually you're, you're going you're to come out stronger and better than ever. So parents, you may be going through a storm. But guess what? God's going to carry you through the storm. Keep leaning on him. Keep abiding in him. Keep trusting him. Because when you trust him, he's going to carry you through the storm. And you're actually going to become better. As a dad, as a mom, because you learn to trust God in the middle of a storm. Because you continue to take your anxiety, you continue to take your stress, you continue to take your fear, and you kept going back to him over and over and over. Because you know what? God gives up. God does not give up, but Satan does give up. Satan gives up. He can't take it for very long. That's why the Bible continuously says, endure, persevere. I mean, I was reading my Bible this week, and I was like, man... I am seeing over and over the word endure over and the word persevere a lot. Because the Bible says this, if you hold to his teachings, if you hold, if you persevere, you will see the promises of God fulfilled in your life. So when the promises of God are not fulfilled in your life, it's not because God didn't keep his word. It's because you, you gave up. You let go of the promise. You started to do your own thing. You started to control your own situation. And you never gave it to God. You backed off. But if you hold, God says, you will see my promise fulfilled. You will see it through. You will overcome it. I don't care what your mind is telling you. You will overcome. And that's so important. And then he tells them this. He says, I'm going to not only help you, but I'm going to prepare a place for you. And I will come back for you. This is good news for all believers. That not one believer is going to get left behind. Not one. Not one. 
You see, this society, we always leave people behind. Every society does it. There's always somebody that gets left behind. Because you know why? We live in a sinful and fallen world. That's, that's just the point. But those who are in God, this is, what, this is the difference between the world and God. The world leaves behind people. God does not leave one believer behind. He knows where they all are. He knows where everybody is. And he says to them, this, he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And I'm, not, I'm coming back for you. So scholars have debated what does he mean by this. Well, it's pretty obvious that he's talking about the second coming. Because you'll read more in this gospel. He talks about other things that he's coming back for. This is different, though. This is talking about second coming. Jesus talks about his second coming numerous times throughout the scripture. Numerous times. The Bible talks about it all over the place. It, you cannot dismiss it. And I know some people don't like, don't like to teach on this thing because they're afraid of how you'll respond. But I think you're smart enough and I think you understand that the teachings of God are important to, to fully understand. It's good for you to know the whole picture, the whole plan, not just bits and pieces. You need to understand it all. So, what am I, why am I bringing this up? Because the Bible prophetically speaks about Jesus coming to earth over 300 times. That's a lot. It's a lot of times that, he bring, that not only Jesus brings it up, but other writers bring it up. They say it over and over and over. And did you know only a third deal with the first coming and he came? And somehow I set off Siri. I did not say her name. Okay. Um, oh, it's my watch. There we go. There we go. Anyways, back to the point. Um, there's over 300 prophecies in the Bible about Jesus' second coming. One third deals with the first coming. How many know? Historians don't even debate it anymore. They don't debate any of it anymore. It's, it's crazy to think that they understand that when it comes to all of this, when, when it comes to all of this, that Jesus came the first time with the third of the, and he fulfilled every single prophecy that was talked about, all of them. So when it comes to the second coming, what's left? There's two thirds left, right? There's two thirds of prophecies left to be fulfilled with Jesus' second coming. And you know what I like to look at it as? I look at it as this. God God promised and guaranteed he was coming the first time. He's double guaranteeing that he's coming the second time. He's double guaranteeing it. Businesses love to say that. I double guarantee. I guarantee this. Listen, the Bible's, the Bible's very clear. God is very clear. I guarantee he's coming the first time. He came. He says again for the second coming. I double guarantee he's coming. I am predicting and I'm telling you he is coming back. For a believer, that's wonderful and that's amazing. Because you get to be with God the Father forever and ever. For the non-believer, it would scare you to death. Because, because you're not right with God. You don't know the day or the hour. Not only of His coming, but of also your departure from this earth. You see, that's the scary part. You don't know when He's coming. And you also don't know when you're leaving the world. I think we all can understand and believe that we all do leave this world. We don't live forever and ever on this planet. It doesn't happen. But yet, we can have hope to know that this is not all that there is. Because the spiritual realm is the greater reality, not just the physical realm. You don't believe me? Watch this. Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. Read that passage over and over and over about the creation of the world because I want people to see this. I want them to see how, how easy 
how easy life is. How easy it is. Genesis chapter 1. How easy life is was back in Genesis chapter 1. Adam and Eve are with God. They're working a job that they absolutely love. Because they get to name all the animals. How many know you would love to see all the animals, right? As long as they don't attack you. But in this moment, they're not attacking. In fact, they, they get to meet them. It's a meet and greet, right? It's great. It's wonderful. I get to name all the animals. This sounds like a lot of fun, right? I get to see all these things. And so they're having a great time. So God was, was showing us on this earth how simple life is in him. When it becomes complicated is when sin enters. When it becomes, see, this is what people think. If I give my life to God, he's going to complicate my life. No, 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 no. What complicates your life is sin. God simplifies your life. He tells you what matters. And he tells you what won't matter. Because it's important to notice what's in the garden and what's not. Because what's in the garden speaks loud. What's not in the garden speaks louder. What God does not have there speaks a whole lot louder than what's in there. And that's important. That comes, you know why? Because we're having, in our world, when something happens in the spiritual realm, let me put it this way, when something happens in the spiritual realm, it's going to happen in the physical realm. That's where it starts. Spiritual realm, physical realm. Jesus came to earth, right? Because God said it to be so. Jesus is coming to earth. He's in heaven. Go to earth. Started in the spiritual realm. Now, when it comes to families in our world, the families are being attacked. Dads, you're being attacked. Now, it's, I'm not saying people are attacking. I'm saying the enemy's attacking you. The enemy wants to destroy your life. Because you know why? Because it happened in the garden. You know why the devil got kicked out of heaven? The Bible talks about this. You don't want to know why God kicked Satan out of heaven? Because he attacked God's family. And God said, enough. Get out. And those who are with you, get out. God does not put up with his family being attacked by the enemy. He's not put up with it. So what happened when Satan came to earth? Who did he go after? God's family. God's creation. He is always, always, always attacking the family. This is what's happening in our world. What you are seeing in our world is something that is happening in the spiritual realm. It is attacking over and over and over God's family. Churches are being attacked. Pastors are being attacked all over the world. But you know what? Greater is he that is within us than he that is in the world. He says, no matter how dark the night will get, my light will always shine brighter. And I do believe that we are in a dark time, but the light is going to get brighter and brighter and brighter and brighter for all the world to see. I believe God is going to make himself known to the whole world. And the world will have to decide what to do. Because he said, before I come back, the whole world is going to hear my gospel. The whole world. See, I'm not just spitting out random information. I'm, I'm looking at what God has been telling me all along. I just have to see it and believe it. And this is what's, what Jesus is telling them in John 14. I'm going to prepare a place for you. All right, we got to go. We got to get moving because uh, I'm, I love this point, but I got to get moving. All right. <laughs> verses 5. That's just in four verses, folks. I got a long way to go. But don't worry, we'll be out by 3 o'clock. All right, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to. Some of you are sweating. Okay. Uh, verses 5 through 7. 
He is the way to the Father. So Thomas hears what he says, and this is what Thomas says to the Lord. Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And this is where the famous scripture passage comes from. Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. So Jesus is making his point here that he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one's going to get to God the Father but through him. Your goal in your life, this is what Jesus is trying to get them to understand. It's not a place that you need to be so concerned about being at. It's, with, it's who you're with. It's who you have access to. Your goal in your life is to be with God the Father. That's what it should be. Be with God the Father. But you have to go through Jesus who is the door. You have to go through Jesus. He says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one is going to get to God the Father but through me. If you want to get to God the Father, you have to go through Jesus Christ. This is his point. This is what Jesus is going to do. He's going to die on the cross for the sins of the world. It says the weight of the, the sins of the world will be placed on his shoulders. And it's so heavy. It's so, so powerful. You know what? Sin is very powerful. And all the weight of sin was placed on his shoulders. And it was so powerful it killed the Son of God. Because he died early on the cross. According to what we read about. It took them a very long time to die on a cross. It was meant for pain and suffering. It meant for you to die for, it meant to uh, slow your death. It was a slow and painful death. But Jesus said, no one is going to take my life from me. I'm going to give it up and I'm going to pick it back up again. He says, that's what I'm doing. And so he, he dies early on the cross. We understand that because the soldier who approached Jesus, after he breaks the legs of the other two on the other side of him, they break their legs because why? Because they, they needed to die and they needed to die now because of the earthquake. But they go to Jesus and the, and the soldier doesn't, doesn't do that to Jesus. Why? Because Jesus was already dead. He was already gone. And then we see one of the soldiers declare that he is the son of God because he finally understands. He's starting to see it. He's starting to see, wow, this guy has the authority to lay down his life and he's going to pick it up again. Like there's a glimpse he is seeing. There's something he's seeing, and he's starting to believe it. This is powerful, what is happening. So he is saying, I am the way to the Father. So he is the way. There are plenty of people who are trying to say that they're the way, but Jesus says, I am the way. If you want to draw closer to God, if you want to grow in your faith, if you want to do things that please God, you must understand that he is the way to please God. You've got to believe in him. You've got to trust in him. Otherwise, it doesn't work. Jesus, the whole point that God the Father was trying to make through Jesus Christ the Son was to give us an idea of who God is because he wanted us back to him. He wanted our relationship back with him again. And so God the Father sends Jesus on this mission to do something that only he could do. If there was another way, it would be, it would be cruel what God the Father made Jesus the Son go through. But because there's only one way, this is why Jesus had to go through what he went through. Because there was only one way. Then he says, the tr then I'm the truth. Many people today are telling us their truth, you know, but for a believer, we filter it through here. We filter it through this Bible. This Bible is no, there's no other book like it. I say this all the time. There are thousands of history, the years of history within this Bible. There's not, it's not just one book. There's 66 books, 40 different authors, all pointing to the same God. And it stood the test of time and it continues to prove time and time again his promises are the ones that stay true. Because you know why? Jesus keeps his word. 
He keeps his word. And he says, heaven and earth are going to pass away, but my word is not. Everything I promise, every time I speak, there's truth behind it, and it will be backed up over and over and over. This is why I talk about the second coming. I'm not just talking about the second coming of Jesus Christ just because it, it sounds like fun to talk about or Jesus talks about it a lot. No, Jesus says, if you don't believe me, then trust the signs that will follow. He says there will be earthquakes. Have we had earthquakes? Yes. He said there will be famines. Have we had famines? Yes. And there's been famines happening through generations because he's reminding every generation. Doesn't end. Because he's reminding every generation who is on the throne. Then he says there's going to be wars. Have we had wars? Yes. Have we had rumors of wars? Yes. It is something that has happened throughout every generation, folks. It has happened throughout every generation. We have seen it. Why? Because God is trying to show people the sign. Get yourself ready. Get yourself ready before you stand before me. Get yourself ready. There is no excuse. This is why the Bible teaches us. There, it, there will be no excuse for anybody. Because he will show you the signs in your life. Are you ready? And that's the, what Jesus is trying to get his disciples to understand. And that's what he wants them to preach. Get people ready. Get them ready. Because the day is coming where Jesus will either come back or they will stand before him. Get them ready. That's what we are called to do as Christians. Get people ready. And this is so important. The other thing is, is that we, we look at when it comes to truth. We have to understand something. Truth can be distorted very easily. Hebrews 12 says sin can easily entangle you. Now when the Bible says it's easy to be entangled by sin, how many know, take the Bible for what it says. It's not rocket science, right? It's easy to be entangled by sin. This is shocking that no matter how smart we are, no matter how much of the Bible we know, we can still be easily entangled in sin. Easily, the Bible teaches us. So how do we, how do, we do it? How do we fight? How do we continue to push forward and trust God through the middle of all that? It says, run us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us run with perseverance, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. So what is, what is our role? What is our job as believers? Fix your eyes on Jesus. As one pastor said, for every look at self, take 10 looks at Christ. Take 10 looks at Christ. Because it's about what he has done and about what he wants to do. When you surrender your life to him, man, sin's coming for you. It wants to entangle you, but keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Keep your eyes fixed on him. Dads, it's important for you to know the truth. Because your, your kids, your grandkids, whatever, your nieces, your nephews, they're going to find the truth their truth or a truth outside of the context of Scripture if you don't teach them. They will. They just have to look on social media and then just say, wow, that has a lot of likes, that has a lot of shares, that has a lot of views, that must be true. No. You have to learn to say, hey, that may have a lot of views, had a lot of likes, have a lot of shares, but we filter everything through God's Word. And it may be backed up in Scripture. Great. It may be. But there also may be a little twist. Because remember, sin easily entangles. Entangles people. So it's important for you to know this so that you do not let your kids be easily entangled in something they shouldn't be entangled with. And yeah, sometimes you have to put your, you have to step into situations and your kids may hate you for it. 
But you know what? You hold on, like Jesus said. You hold on because the promises of his word will be fulfilled. You hold on. The Bible doesn't say your kids are going to like you all the time. Trust me, I had a lot of fights with my dad. All right? But you know what? I noticed my dad always did this. He always held on to the truth. He always held on to the promise. And even though I may have scratched and clawed and, and argued about things and made no sense, that's okay. He held on to the truth. And his promises of God were fulfilled because of holding on. So when Jesus tells us to know the truth, we need to know his truth, but we need a place where it can be filtered. This is where it can be filtered. And I understand this. This is, a, this is, a, this is something to protect you dads from. Emotions were created by God, just so you know. Emotions were created. I'm talking because I've, I've, I've had to come to reality with this. Emotions were created by God. They are not a bad thing. They can get distorted. Like everything else, the devil tries to distort your emotions. This is where you filter your emotions. You learn to trust what the Word of God says. The world is trying to tell you, try to portray this idea that men don't need any emotion. Like, just, just get rid of all your emotion. Just don't even trust any of your emotion. So you don't surrender anything, you don't let anybody in, and you hold it all in because you have to make this appearance that you're stronger and better than everybody and that nothing gets to you. I'm here to tell you that is a lie of the enemy. Emotions are okay as long as you filter it through the Word of God. When you have your emotions, you can filter. But if it's not filtered through the Word of God, your emotions are lying. It's learning to figure out what your emotions are doing. And what, they're, what the enemy is trying to distort. What the enemy is trying to easily entangle you with. When you, when you filter it through here, God will help you. And God will show you what he's up to in your life. So don't treat your emotions as if they're a bad thing. Those were created by your heavenly father. Those were created by him. The enemy's trying to distort them. But you can filter it through here. And there's no better time than to start than to start right now. If you're saying, well, Pastor Bobby, I don't know anything about the Bible. Good, that means you have a lot to discover about God, just like the rest of us. Because I still have a lot to, do, to learn from him. I still have a lot to understand from him. I have so much more to discover, and I'm excited about discovering. Because every time he does, every time I discover something, he brings more life into me. This is what he says in the third point, the, the life. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He says, life will only be found in me. And don't let... Anything else become your life. Don't let anything else become your life. Jesus is your life. This is what he's trying to protect people from because you can have a job, you can have a marriage, you can have a relationship, you can have money, you can have resources, you can have all those things. But don't let those things that maybe God has blessed you and gifted you with, don't let those things become your God because that's the wrong place to put those things in. Don't let those be the center of your life. The center of your life is Jesus. And everything else falls underneath. That's what the enemy will try to do. He does it with people all the time. Is he'll take a gift and he'll distort it so it becomes a God in somebody's life. And they serve that rather than serving Jesus. This is important for us to understand. The last point, which I'm excited about, is that he wants to do great things in you and he wants to do great things through you. This is what the scripture says in verses 8 through 14. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, that'll be enough for us. See, you think you're messed up? Just look at these disciples, right? I'm messed up too, right? And I just read these disciples, and I'm like, good. They didn't have it all together either. Philip says, just show us the Father, that'll be enough for us. Jesus answers, don't, 
Don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long while? Any who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I said that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe the works Believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do greater things than, uh, than, than these, because I am going to the Father. I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask for anything in my name, and I will do it. I think we can hopefully understand this, that God wants to do great things in and through your life. The church is not, just a, it's not a building. This is where we gather. The church is you. God wants to do great things in you. He does. But you've got to believe it. If your perception is that he does not want to do anything great in you, you're not going to look for him. But if you believe, yes, Lord, I am called, I am chosen, I am more than a conqueror in your name, then you'll start to believe that God wants to do great things in you. Then you'll start to realize that he actually wants not to do it just in you because when God blesses people, he doesn't just bless you. He wants you to be a blessing to others. So when he does something in you, that means he wants to do something through you. Because he's showing you what he wants to do. And other people as well. So, Philip is asking to show him the Father. We've heard this said before with Moses in Exodus 33. He says, listen, Moses, I can't show you me in my full glory. Because if I do, you're going to die. Right? How many of you are like, okay, I'll take God for his word on that one. Right? Um, so, God says, however, I will let you, I will pass by and you will see my shadow. And that's it. So now Jesus is showing us this, is that the Father is in him, and he is in the Father. So we're, we're, we're seeing God's glory through Jesus Christ. We're seeing his, who he is, what he's all about through, through Jesus Christ. So if we want to do the great and mighty things that we think we know and we see in the Bible, we say, wow, that, that looks exciting. I want to do something like that. I want to be more than a conqueror. I want to reach people. I want to do good things. You know, I think it's first, I think it's important to understand that if you want to do that, you've got to know who Jesus is. Because then you'll know who the God the Father is, because the Father is in him and he is in the Father. This is the whole point. You want, you want the, the best example of God? Jesus Christ is the best example of God. He is the best example of who God is, of what God is all about. This is important for us to know that. So, I'm going to ask the worship team to come. The evidence of God the Father being in Jesus Christ and being in you and me is when we do the things that he did on this earth. Jesus even and says to them that they will do great things like he has done, but they will also do even greater things that they haven't even begun to see yet, which is what John's going to be talking about in the next couple of weeks called the Holy Spirit. It's about the Holy Spirit. He says, I'm leaving, but I'm bringing somebody to you. And there's more to come, so that's why you should come back, right? So, when it comes to God wanting to do great and mighty things in and through us, I mean, it's amazing. It's, it's, so, it's so wonderful to know that God wants to do miracles in my life, but also do miracles through my life. I have seen too many people be miracles to somebody else. You cannot tell me God is not using people to do miracles because I've seen people 
provide things for people, and they had no idea that that was needed for that individual. They were just doing it out of the kindness of their heart, but that was a prayer of that individual. I've seen it too many times. God always uses people. Can God do it all himself? Sure. But he chooses to use us. He says, I will do a miracle. And you know what? I'm going to use you to do it. I'm going to use you. So when you see somebody in need, I not only can pray and ask God for strength and help to know what to do, but I can step in that and I can be somebody's miracle. And I can point them to God the Father and say, it's not because of anything I've done, it's because of what he's done. When you look at all these different things that Jesus was doing, Jesus is promising to people. And he's saying, look, you will do great things. In fact, you will do greater things than than I have on this earth. Because God is always advancing and building his kingdom. What is God about? What what should you make your life about? Remember, God simplifies your life. He doesn't complicate. This is what God is all about, advancing his kingdom. That's it. Advancing. Advancing, advancing, advancing. So I always have to ask myself, Lord, am I about the Father's business? Like Jesus would say, I am about the Father's business. Because why? Jesus was expanding his kingdom. So God is about advancing his kingdom. So what kingdom, God, am I building? That's what we have to ask ourselves. That's what I ask myself all the time. God, am I building your kingdom or am I building mine? Because I have to be careful of that because sin can easily entangle me. And I have to be mindful of that and I have to filter it. And sometimes I have to make corrections and a lot of corrections, actually, and a lot of things that I said and thought I could do, I couldn't do. I had to make a lot of changes because I made my life about the wrong thing. And so... This is important for us to be reminded of that. Is that, you know what, Lord? You want to do great and mighty things. Just like you did in Jesus Christ. But Jesus says, I did not do anything unless the Father told me. Unless I saw it in the Father. And now you and I can look to his word and say, okay, what did Jesus do? Now what can I do, Lord? What can I do? Who are you calling me to? What are you teaching me to do? And I want to encourage dads today to be the leaders of the spiritual leaders in your family, for your children, for your spouse. Be the leader. Lead the way. Don't wait for somebody else to lead the way because they're going to find somebody else to lead the way. And you know what? They could end up following the wrong individual. It can be tragic. But when you lead the way, when they see you and hear you pray, man, that does a number on that child. Because they're like, wow, that's a... That's my dad doing that. That's my father. And I understand that they're, they're in our world, we live in a broken society, and I understand that some people didn't have a, a father, an earthly father. I'm here to tell you, the Bible says this in Psalm 23, the Lord is your shepherd, you lack nothing. So guess what? The Lord is your shepherd, and you don't lack anything. So there could be earthly fathers that were present, and there could be earthly fathers who are absent. The Bible says he is a father to the fatherless. He is a father to the fatherless. And so what does God do to be your miracle? When you say, I don't have an earthly dad. I didn't have it. God says, I'll I'll find some dads. I'll find some dads to be your spiritual father. I'll find them. And I'll bring them into your life. I'll bring them into your life. I've seen it too many times. I've seen too many men do this, and it's amazing. 
Spiritual dads take on the responsibility. It's not even their child. But God called them to that child who was missing. God says, I'm not missing you. I must be striking a chord because not only am I crying, I'm seeing some people crying. All right. I'm just saying, you lack nothing when you're in him because he will bring people in your life because no one goes forgotten in his kingdom. He doesn't forget anybody. He's with you. And that father may have been there for a season or for a moment, or it could have been a lifetime. There are people in my life that helped me through a lot. But I'm here to tell you, I've seen too many kids who didn't have the earthly father, but I've seen so many amazing godly dads step in, in the gap, and be a spiritual father to that child. It is an amazing miracle to see that because God does not forget his kids. Amen? Amen. And I don't want any dad in this room to forget their responsibility or demean their responsibility about what it means to be a dad, a spiritual dad. Let's take the lessons from the Bible. Moses had a, was a spiritual father to Joshua, correct? He led the nation of Israel, but he had Joshua with him. So when Moses died, Joshua took the reins and advanced the kingdom of Israel. The problem is Joshua did some amazing things, great things, amazing stuff, great leader. There was one thing he forgot to do was to bring somebody with him. So when Joshua left, chaos spiritually broke out because there was no spiritual son to lead the charge. And it messed up the nation of Israel bad. People don't know this, but Elijah and Elisha, the same thing happened. Elijah had Elisha with him. So when Elijah left the world, he didn't pass it off to Elisha. But when Elisha left, did great things, many miracles, amazing things, doubled the miracles of Elijah. But when Elijah left, there was nobody else to take his place. And that's when spiritual darkness just opened the floodgates and destroyed a lot of people, a lot of generations. Can I just tell you this? The enemy isn't playing around with, you fam- with your family, dads. He ain't messing around. In fact, if he can get to you, he can destroy your generation. That's what he wants to do. He's not just about taking you out. He's about taking out the generations. That's what he's about. So when you step in as a spiritual dad and say, you know what? I may not have it all together, but I'm going to certainly try. I'm going to certainly give it my best shot, and I'm going to keep, keep pushing, keep going. I'm telling you what, it makes a huge difference in your family. You may be thinking, well, Pastor Bobby, I haven't really done a great job at that. Well, start now. Start with your family. Maybe your kids are in your house still. Maybe they're gone, and maybe you can reach out to them today. Or you can find somebody within the church or within the community who needs a spiritual father. And all you need to do is just love them. Just love them. Just serve them. Find ways to help them, encourage them, text them, call them, whatever you got to do. That goes for any man. That just doesn't go for a dad, a physical dad. This goes for anybody, really. And, um... As a way to close this out today, I wanted to do this for all the dads and all the men here gathered today, whether you're a father or not, an uncle, a grandfather, or just a teenager, I want to ask all of you to stand to your feet at this moment. I want to declare something over your life today. Can now all the, all the guys stand today, Doesn't even teenagers, you can stand, all of you, if you're able to, if you're able to. If you're not able to in this moment, 
That's okay. I still can declare this powerful scripture over your life because this is what the Lord was saying to me. He said, he said, declare Isaiah 40 over their life. Verse 30 and 31. Because you are under, you are under a lot of pressure, understand. Not only earthly pressure, but you also have an enemy who's coming after you. And he's not messing around with you. But remember the passage of scripture that says this. Greater is he. Who is the he? God. Greater is God that is within you than he that is in the world. Who is the he in the world? The devil. So greater is God within you. So you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be afraid one bit. God is with you. God is for you. He's going to carry you through the storms. And if you hold, you will see the promises of fulfilled in your life. Because God keeps his word always. And I'm going to read this Isaiah 40, verses 30 through 31, because I understand this. There are going to be times where you don't feel like leading, where you don't feel like doing nothing, where you don't feel like reading your Bible, you don't feel like coming to church, you just feel exhausted. I'm going to declare this over your life. And I want you, if you ever experience this moment again, to declare that over your life. Isaiah 40, verses 30 through 31. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord... Those dads who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. Those dads who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. These dads will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. These dads will not grow, they will not uh, run and not grow weary. And they will walk and not be faint. These dads will walk and they won't be faint. That is the God's word declared over your life. And declare that over your life. If you ever find a moment where you just feel like you can't keep doing it, where you feel weak, where you feel like you fail, or you feel like you can't be what somebody else wants you to be, declare that over your life. My hope is not in myself. My hope is in the Lord. The Bible says he will then, when you declare that, he will then renew your strength. I can't tell you how many times that has happened to me, where I feel weak, where I feel like a failure, I feel like I can't keep going, or I feel tired and exhausted. God always brings this to my mind, the scripture passage. When I hope in the Lord, when I look to the Lord, he will renew my strength. And there are days where I'm just like, I don't know how I got through that, but Lord, it must have been you, because it wasn't me. Right? Amen?